Planning an international trip and want to learn the language of your destination? Then check out the language learning program Rosetta Stone on desktop or as an app. Rosetta Stone is designed to immerse you in the language you're learning. Plus, the True Accent feature even gives you feedback on your pronunciation. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com today. In order to support our show, we need the help of some great advertisers. And we want to make sure those advertisers are ones you'll actually want to hear about. But we need to learn a little more about you to make that possible. So go to podsurvey.com slash art of man and take a quick anonymous survey that will help us get to know you better. That way we can bring on advertisers you won't want to skip. Once you've completed the quick survey, you can enter for a chance to win a $100 Amazon gift card. Terms and conditions apply. Again, that's podsurvey.com slash art of man, A-R-T-O-F-M-A-N, podsurvey.com slash art of man. Thanks for your help. Okay, here and welcome to another edition of the Art of Manliness podcast. So if you haven't been living under a rock these past five or six years, you've probably heard of CrossFit. It's this new workout routine program where you're using barbells and medicine balls and it's just high intense, whatever. You've probably seen people at your gym do CrossFit workouts and you probably had friends who told you about their CrossFit box. Anyways, I've known about CrossFit, but I really didn't know much about it, like the history of it and the development of it and all like the culture that goes around CrossFit because I don't belong to a CrossFit box. So I was really excited when this book came out called Learning to Breathe Fire, The Rise of CrossFit and the Primal Future of Fitness it's by JC Hertz. And it's basically a history and cultural analysis of CrossFit. Uh, which was really fascinating. I got to go into this world that I, I knew nothing about. So today on the podcast, we have JC Hertz on discussing her, her book, Learning to Breathe Fire. We're going to talk about what exactly is CrossFit, some of the workouts that you might see in CrossFit. We're going to talk about the guy who started CrossFit, the political philosophy that sort of underlies CrossFit that um, most people aren't aware of. We're going to talk about the business model of CrossFit, which I think is very fascinating. We're going to talk about why CrossFit and other workouts like CrossFit are resonating with Americans right now. And uh, JC has some interesting cultural insights on and why that may be, why more and more people are turning to CrossFit instead of just you doing your typical machine, weight machine workout. Uh, it's a fascinating podcast. I think you're going to like it. So let's do this. JC Hertz, welcome to the show. Great to be here. All right. So your book is called Learning to Breathe Fire. It's about the rise of CrossFit. Why did you write a book about CrossFit, about this sort of this new fitness, some would say a fad or a fitness uh, trend? Uh, why, why that? There was such a big difference between what was going on in the workouts, the experience of the people who were doing them, and what you would see if you just looked through the window at these insane people chucking balls up nine feet in the air. So the difference between the experience of the people doing it and what you would just see looking through the window was so huge. And the tribal dynamics going on inside the box were so powerful that as someone who does cultural analysis for a living, 
it just seemed very ripe to write about. Also, it's really fun to write about because it's dramatic because it's high intensity. Anything intense is inherently dramatic. So one of my inspirations was the book Born to Run by Chris McDougall. And I got to take my hat off to Chris McDougall because he made putting one foot in front of the other for 40 miles interesting. And that's hard. <laughs> Making people competing against each other to like lift up heavy objects and do stuff they don't know that they're going to be able to do or not is relatively easy to make that read really fun and exciting for people. Yeah, you did a great job of that. Um, sort of there's, yeah, CrossFit has sort of this competitive nature in it, which makes a, a great story. And you yourself, you are, are you a CrossFit practitioner? I am, uh, but I will qualify that by saying that I'm an excellent example of what you can do with zero genetic potential for sports. So I was kind of dragged into it by my husband. My husband started doing it. He's like really great athlete. So he got, you know, he drank the Kool-Aid and he was thrown around all the terminology. So I had the experience that many people have, which is someone I know will not shut up about this. Yeah, that, 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 there's that joke that, you know, the first rule of Fight Club is never talk about Fight Club. And the first rule of CrossFit is never shut up about CrossFit. Always talk about CrossFit, right. <laughs> so I figured I had to try it kind of for the sake of my marriage because if I liked it, it would be something we both loved that we could share as an interest. And if I didn't like it and didn't do it, at least I would get points or credit for trying it. Okay. So that was my starting point. And what I realized when I started doing it was that for the first time in my life, because right, I had never been an athlete, uh, you know, I was always smaller, slower, less powerful. I'm a year young in school, so I was this shrimpy little kid. For the first time in my life, someone actually gave a damn about my physical capacity and my progress. Like I had a coach and I was on a team, right? So I finally, at the age of 38, right, you know, I got my jersey, right? <laughs> I, I got to be on the team and it resolved a lot of adolescent angst for me. And what I find is that there's two people who love CrossFit when they join. One is the people who played sports in high school and maybe even in college and they thought that they would never have that amazing experience of being on a team and being in the weight room again, that that was gone, and they get that back, and they get their varsity letter back. And the other is the people like me who were never part of a sports culture, and the athletes were always you know, those people who were sitting at different tables in the cafeteria who finally get to experience that esprit de corps. And it's great. It's, it's fantastic, even if you come to it a little bit late in life. And and those two groups of people generally love the experience of CrossFit. Okay, so let's let's talk about like what CrossFit is because uh, before I read the book, I had a general idea of what CrossFit is was you know Olympic lifts combined with you know throwing the wall ball combined you know this sort of like multifunctional strength endurance speed agility type workout, but I I really didn't know the specifics of it. Um, so for those who aren't familiar with CrossFit workouts, can you kind of explain, you know, what makes it different from other types of exercise routines and what type of workouts a person will typically encounter? So one thing about it is that it's, it's functional movement, right? So a lot of whole body movements, not, you know, sort of single muscle isolation exercises, no curls. Um, it's high intensity, which means you're going to be really uncomfortable when you're doing it. Your heart's going to be going. You're going full on all out. And then it's constantly varied, which means you never get the same workout twice. 
which is good. It's a different form of torture every day. So you combine all these different things, you do them at high intensity, and you develop, you know, strength, skill, coordination, all the rest of it. And the thing that tends to hook the kind of type A competitive personalities is that it's all measurable, right? They, all of the workouts are sort of named, and, and you do them, and then three months later you do them again, and you can see that you've improved. And for people who like to see progress, you know, you are your own avatar, you know, for anyone who plays, you know, online role-playing games, you have these different attributes and, you know, you sort of build up, you are your own avatar, right? You get to build up in your speed and you get to build up in your strength and you get to build up in your coordination. You can see evidence of all of that, like hard numerical evidence. And that progress in itself is really, really motivating. So it's not like, yeah, I went to the gym, I did 30 minutes of this, I did some crunches. It's like, wow, I actually got better. Uh, you know, I put five more pounds on each side of the bar or I did this 35 seconds quicker than I did it three months ago. And that's really awesome. We're going to take a quick break for a word from our sponsor. Hey, Art of Manless listeners, uh, if you are looking to up your game in your career or just learn some new skill because you want to learn it, definitely recommend you check out lynda.com. At lynda.com, it's an easy and affordable way to help individuals and organizations learn. There you can instantly stream thousands of courses on any subject you want from business development, management, leadership, productivity, web development, software, photography, graphic design, videography, whatever, they have it there. Courses are taught by experts. For example, I've been listening watching some of the videos on productivity and they have videos done by David Allen, which is the guy that came up with getting things done. Um, been really, it's a, been a great refresher for me. You just pay $25 a month and you get unlimited access to over a hundred thousand video tutorials. Um, again, I've been using the stuff for the productivity, but I've also been using their photography courses because I've, I have this D, fancy DSLR and I didn't know how to use it. And now I've, I've been learning. I actually can take pretty decent photos. I'm, I'm not an expert by any means. I'm not going to be quitting Art of Manliness to become a professional photographer, but I'm not taking crummy looking photos anymore because I actually know what everything means on my camera. Uh, so if you're interested in learning a new skill, we got a great deal for you. If you go to lynda.com slash art of man, you can try lynda.com free for seven days. That's lynda.com. L-Y-N-D-A dot com slash art of man. And now back to the show. And one thing I noticed about CrossFit workouts, after I read the book, I decided to tr actually try some, the lingo is WOD, right? W-O-D. The workout of the day. Workout of the day. And uh, the one that I tried out was Fran, because that was sort of like- Oh my goodness. I tried it out. And the thing is, here's the thing <laughs> with CrossFit like workouts is that they look, they're deceptively, they look deceptively easy. You're like, you're yeah. like, cause like, okay. On paper. Yeah. So tell us like what Fran is and, um, you know, what, what exercises you do in this and then what it's actually like doing. Cause I can tell you my experience. It was horrible. Yes, it is. It is horrible. It is the most feared workout in CrossFit. Although there's one other workout that I think is actually more miserable for, for me. But so Fran is uh, simple on paper, um, a, a repetition scheme of 21 15, and then nine of two exercises. One is called a thruster where you have 65 pounds for a woman, 95 pounds for a man on a barbell, and you, you basically take it to your shoulders, do a full squat, and then you launch upward and propel 
the barbell all the way over your head. And that's one. That's called a thruster. So you do 20 of one of those, 21 pull-ups, 15 thrusters, 15 pull-ups, 9 thrusters, 9 pull-ups. And it is awful because it taxes your heart and lungs. So you breathe and you're gassed. And as you're gassed, you're also having to, having to move significant quantity of weight. And, it, and it's really, really, it sucks. It's terrible. And, and that's why people at CrossFit use it as a benchmark because there's this really, like, depending on how you define it, like awesome or completely perverse um, pride in being able to endure discomfort, right? And just be able to step up and your mind is telling you, stop, stop, stop. This is, this is just feels bad. And you manage to keep going. Yeah. Yeah. So you do this nonstop. Like it's like, it's four time, right? So it is four time. So like yes. you don't, there's no rest between the different sets. And yeah, I thought it'd be like, okay, I can probably do this in 10 minutes. And it just 10 minutes turned into 15 then 20. And I had to bring out the, the rubber, the giant rubber band to put mm-hmm. on the pull-up bar to help me yep. uh, assist with the pull-ups. It was brutal. Um, it was yeah, tough. It's not a, it's not a workout I would recommend as a starter no. workout for I, and the workout that I love the most is called Cindy and it's great for beginners. Um, it's a, a rep scheme of five, 10, 20. So five pull-ups, 10 push-ups, and, uh, 15, sorry, 15 squats, full air squats. And you do a round of that 5, 10, 15, as many times as you can in 20 minutes. So as many rounds as possible in AMRAP. And the thing I love about it was that when I started, I could not do many push-ups on my toes. I actually started doing them on my knees. And I couldn't do unassisted pull-ups. I had to use the big rubber bands. And squats I could do, right? And I started out doing them modified that way. And then over the course of a year, worked my way up so that I did more on more push-ups on my toes every single time. And I used skinnier and skinnier and skinnier rubber bands on the pull-ups and then no rubber bands on the pull-ups. And then I could knock out five pull-ups anytime I wanted. And so I could really see myself getting stronger and moving my own body around in this quantitative way. And it was a real accomplishment for me. And people look at the CrossFit Games and ESPN and they think it's for these superhumans or for soldiers or firemen, but everything can be modified or scaled on. I mean, even Fran, right? There are people who are doing Fran just with the bar, right? Or doing it with rubber bands on the pull-ups. And the point is that if you really want to be macho, you can try it scaled. But if you just want to work within your definition of intensity, like what you're capable of, you can always start somewhere. And I think that that's one of the empowering messages of CrossFit, especially for women, is that you can start somewhere and get really strong. You don't have to be this super athlete to even begin. And then, But then you can grow along with it. Mm-hmm. You'll get better. All right. So speaking of Fran, because that is, I guess, like the first CrossFit workout, I guess, in CrossFit lore. Yes, in CrossFit lore. Um, can you talk about the origins of CrossFit, how this whole thing gets started? So... CrossFit was started by this guy, Greg Glassman, who was a personal trainer who was you know, super, super smart, um, kind of rebellious, um, not very good at working for people. And he had originally been a gymnast and he wanted 
to come up with a workout when he was a teenager that would be as taxing as a routine on the rings. You know, they would get him out of breath because building stamina was, you know, really important in gymnastics. So he started experimenting in his dad's garage with all of these different routines and, and mixing it up and mixing what we call weightlifting with what we call cardio and finding out that actually there's not such a big division after all. You know, if you move a weight around enough, it gets very cardio. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so, and that's what gymnastics is, is moving your own weight around very quickly. And you know what? It's, it's pretty taxing on your heart and lungs. So when he moved to California and originally to train police officers, um, he started doing this with personal training clients in Santa Cruz, and this eventually morphed into, you know, the CrossFit gym in Santa Cruz, which was the original CrossFit gym, of which there are now like 10,000. Okay. And we'll talk a little bit about the business model, because I think that's really interesting about CrossFit. But so what role did you speak, you talked about, you just mentioned that he trained uh, LEOs, um, law enforcement officials. Um, what role did law enforcement and military play in popularizing CrossFit? So first responders, I guess, broadly defined, sure. were some of the first early adopters of CrossFit because these kinds of high-intensity bursts of strength and speed were what they needed for their job. So the archetype of that would be a fireman, right? I mean, that guy needs to be able to run into a burning building carrying all this gear, right? The, the equipment, the oxygen mask, the everything, up a flight of steps, right? Because you're not taking the elevator, you're a firefighter. Mm -hmm maybe get an unconscious person, sling that person over your shoulder and carry them out. So you're moving heavy weight quickly. And CrossFit is perfect for that, right? So if you're a police officer, you, you have to chase a criminal, you might get into a scuffle with one of them. Um, that's, that's very taxing. It's the kind of high intensity functional movement that CrossFit trains. Also, a lot of MMA guys, right? So very, very early adoption, mixed martial arts, for exactly the same reasons. It was a, a great form of conditioning for these things that you would do where you had to move heavy weights where, that would simultaneously also get you out of breath. Uh, at the same time, we had a you know, bunch of people moving into Iraq, moving into Afghanistan, military guys deploying, they didn't have a lot of expensive equipment out there to work out. So you needed something you could improvise just with yourself and then, you know, fill a bunch of ammo cans with sand and walk them around. And, or, you know, there's a great chapter in the book about how these guys in Iraq were improvising weight training equipment from like the, the shells and husks of exploded <laughs> cars and, you know, trees and, you know, anything that you could kind of find to move. And, you know, during Fallujah, I mean, Marines were literally, you know, stepping out into the night to hit a workout of the day just to keep themselves primed for what was going down in Fallujah. Yeah. And a lot of the response that I've gotten back from the book, I mean, from Marines and from Special Forces guys, I mean, who've told me the book made them cry because it, it really did speak to the experience of these people for whom you know, high intensity movement was not just a way to look better naked. It was survival. Survival. Cause that, that's, yeah, you're right. Cause like one of the emphasis on fitness nowadays is sex, right? Like you exercise so you look good so you can get sex. Uh, CrossFit doesn't really have that ethos. I mean, I guess, um, the benefit of it is that, yeah, you will get in shape, 
but that's not the primary not you'll, you'll look good naked but that's not the primary reason why you do crossfit yeah no i mean it's it's a functional it's a functional movement right so it's the difference between sexy because you have the six pack and you can flex your muscles and sexy because you can help someone survive the zombie apocalypse <laughs> right so yeah. in in a way to you know the art of manliness it 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 speaks to a kind of deep sexiness which is the ability to help protect people in the real world to actually respond and be responsible for your survival and other people's survival. So, you know, being able to flex your abs is one thing, you know, being able to actually, you know, take your lady friend and throw her over your shoulder like a sack of potatoes and run at an eight minute mile pace. I would say that is more sexy. More sexy. Okay. So let's talk about uh, some of the criticisms of CrossFit because it's a, it's a hot button topic anytime it gets brought up. Um, and one of the criticisms levied at it is that CrossFit is dangerous, right? Especially for beginners um, because, you know, some people say there's not an emphasis on form. And because of that, you know, you're doing these very complex exercises, Olympic lifts with heavy weight, very fast. There's a tendency to, you can, you know, injury, drop a weight on your head. Um, and then there's also some like health risks that have been in, that always gets brought up in the news. Uh, Uncle Pukey, we can talk about that. And then like, what's the, you know, it's Pukey the clown, right? And then yes, Uncle Rabo. Uncle Rabdo. Rabdo. Right? So there's this issue about rhabdomyolysis. Yeah. What is rhabdomyolysis? So it's kind of, it's kind of scary. It is kind of scary. Um, it, it's basically what happens when you do so many repetitions of, you know, of, of a movement, of a heavy movement and workout that your, your muscle starts to wear down and the particles of muscle are released into the blood. You call and it muscle you can damage dust. damage your, your kidneys. And the, the place where we traditionally see the highest rates of rhabdomyolysis, which happens in pr almost every sport, but it has very high rates in preseason football camps, both in the pro leagues and unfortunately in high schools. And what we learn from that is that it's not the, the weakling newbies who get rhabdo, like no person off the street who wanders around who doesn't do sports and, you know, isn't very strong is going to get rhabdo. It's the people who are very strong. They're strong enough to exert significant amount of effort, but they're also out of shape. So they pick up and they go like they just stopped doing it yesterday or last week. But they're actually deconditioned. So it's usually the difference between what you were able to do three months ago or a year ago and what you're trying to do now. And if you throw in a little bit of heat in there, um, you know, it's, it, it's risky. And there are, you know, there's a risk of, 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 rhabdo for for athletes and for former athletes who go in and hit it like they never stopped and that's real and how and do you it, how it do you happens, prevent it that? happens in sports is there anything you do to prevent it the thing you need to prevent it is to check your ego at the door if you think you're billy badass and you used to run triathlons and you <laughs> go and there's a whole bunch of guys around you who are doing crossfit three or four or five times a week 
the 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 thing you can do about not getting rhabdo is not try to copy exactly what those guys are doing at the weights that they're doing them right when you get there. Gotcha. Okay, what about the uh, the criticism about form? You know that their CrossFit is teaching all these beginners bad form, and they're hurting themselves as a consequence. I have never seen a CrossFit gym, and I've traveled to a whole bunch of them, where beginners are not put through a foundations class or an elements class where they're taught the proper form for all of the movements. That said, as the number of CrossFit gyms expands, so does the variation in coaching between CrossFit gyms, right? So way back when, you know, there were only a few CrossFit gyms. These people were all, you know, very experienced, true believers, you know, very attentive coaches. Uh, And now, I mean, there's 10,000 CrossFit boxes. Yeah. There are, there are going to be some bros who go get their level one certifications over a weekend, and then they're going to pop up their CrossFit boxes. And so I think it now behooves the individual to look at the coach profiles and say, how long have you been doing this? And what were you doing before? And, you know, it's a sport. I mean, I think you have to look at it like a sport. If you go get on a snowboard, and you throw yourself down a mountain, you're going to get messed up. And the, the, the kind of disconnect in terms of the people saying, oh, CrossFit's dangerous, and people say, no, 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 you, you, know, you just have to learn what you're doing, is between the people who are talking about CrossFit in the context of you know, exercise, like you would get on an elliptical at the gym. You know, All these gym activities are purposely designed to not have any risk of injury right? There's an expectation that if you get on a piece of machinery in a standard gym, that the risk of injury is going to be zero. Versus if you play any kind of sport, and I don't care what it is, you know, whether it's basketball, um, you know, soccer, rugby, all of these sports have injury rates. And if you look at the epidemiology of sports, the interesting thing you find is that the injury rates for practice are about a third of the injury rates for competition. Hmm. And so the observation I would make is, all right, so um, the injury rates for practice uh, for all of these sports are actually, a lot of them are higher than the CrossFit injury rate that we think the CrossFit has. But then when you go to competition, it leaps up. And I think the critique of CrossFit is what happens in a sport when every day is game day, right? If you're, if you're in competition, if you're in competition mode, like you hit a wad and you want to get on the whiteboard and you're, you know, you act like, you know, this is your competition, this is your game day. You've essentially got a sport where there's no practice. It's all competition. And the, the injury rates for competition for any sport are always going to be higher in, in competition than they are for practice. Texas Pete is the sauce that allows you to sauce like you mean it. Each Texas Pete sauce is packed with a bold, balanced flavor. The signature tanginess is what makes it a legendary hot sauce that can be used on just about anything. You're definitely going to want to try every flavor. The original hot sauce has a famous secret blend of fermented peppers. Their hotter hot sauce is three times hotter than the original, and it's not for the faint of heart. They also got a flavor called Sabor by Texas Pete. adds authentic Mexican flavor. And they also have a dust-dry seasoning that matches the flavor of the original hot sauce in a flavorful dry rub. But... 
the flavor that I've been enjoying lately is the chopped sriracha sauce. It's got chili, garlic, and some tropical tangy notes. It's really good. I love putting on my eggs. Texas Pete sauce like you mean it. Visit texaspeat.com and use the store locator to find Texas Pete products as well as purchase sauces and get recipe inspiration. And you can use promo code podcast24 for 20% off at texaspeat.com. That's podcast24 for 20% off at texaspeat.com. Check out the Sriracha Cha Sauce. Wedding season is coming up, and if you are preparing for the big day, I know wedding planning can be really intimidating, but finding the perfect suit shouldn't be. Indochino makes it easy to get a fully customizable suit right from your home. Don't just wear any suit on your big day. Wear a custom made-to-measure suit. Suits start at just $499, which is about the same price you'd pay for an off-the-rack suit at a department store. And they've also got custom made-to-measure shirts starting at just $89. So I've talked about my Indochino suit on the podcast before. They've been a longtime podcast sponsor. It's navy blue. The measuring process was super easy. They got these video guides you follow. You'll need another set of hands to help you out with that. But the really fun part is customizing it. Got to customize how I wanted the lapels on the jacket, the pockets, the lining. I went no pleats on the pants on this suit. A lot of fun. And then in a few weeks, you have a made-to-measure custom suit sent directly to your door. When planning your wedding, get a suit as unique as you with Indochino. Go to Indochino.com and use code MANLINESS to get 10% off any purchase of $399 or more. That's I-N-D-O-C-H-I-N-O.com, promo code MANLINESS. Daylight saving time is starting up again. The goal of this is to give us more daylight from March through November. By setting our clocks forward, it may feel like there are more hours in the day, but if you're hiring, it doesn't necessarily help you find qualified candidates for your roles any sooner. There is only one way to do that, ZipRecruiter. And right now, you can try it for free at ZipRecruiter.com slash manliness. ZipRecruiter works around the clock to help you find qualified candidates. Once you post your job on ZipRecruiter, they send it to 100 plus job sites so you can reach more of the right people. ZipRecruiter smart technology also quickly scans thousands of resumes to identify people whose skills and experience match your job. Spring forward with a new hiring partner, ZipRecruiter, and find top talent sooner. See why four out of five employers who post a job on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate within the first day. Just go to this exclusive web address to try ZipRecruiter for free. ZipRecruiter.com slash manliness. Once again, that's ZipRecruiter.com slash manliness. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. Picture that thing you've always wanted to learn. All right, you got that in your head? Now picture learning it from the person who's literally the best at it in the world. That's what you get with Masterclass. This year, learn from the best, become your best with Masterclass. Masterclass offers over 180 world-class instructors, and many of these instructors are former AOM podcast guests. You can learn negotiation from Chris Voss, leadership skills from Jocko Willink, how to master your habits with James Clear. Plus, every new membership comes with a 30-day money-back guarantee, so there's no risk. So recently, I went through the masterclass on negotiation with Chris Voss. A lot of useful information in there. Talked about the value of knowing a negotiation, how to use your body language and speech patterns to get your best out of a negotiation. Very well done. I really enjoyed it and got a lot out of it. Right now, listeners of our podcast can get an additional 15% off an annual membership at masterclass.com slash AOM. Get 15% off right now at masterclass.com slash AOM. Masterclass.com slash AOM. Check out the masterclass on negotiation with Chris Voss. Okay, so the risk factor in CrossFit, it's a feature, not a bug. That's like just No, I, I don't think it's a, a feature. I think that you just have to go into it understanding that this activity 
has a, a, a skill associated with it, a okay. skill level associated with it. And so you have to, you have to treat it like a skilled activity and understand that you're, yeah, I have to learn how to do this at a lo low weight or no weight before I start piling on weight. And that requires a little bit of judgment. And I think to, to the degree that there's a legitimate critique of CrossFit, it's that you have this skilled activity where you have to learn form and technique and all this other stuff at the same time as you have a culture that says high intensity, go, 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 get on the whiteboard. Gotcha. That's oh, where the risk comes from. Yeah. Okay. Um, so let's talk about the other criticism that uh, people throw at CrossFit and you've, we've sort of addressed it already, um, is this, this cultish aspect or tribal aspect of CrossFit. Um, yeah. So, you know, CrossFitters, they call their place where they work out boxes. They have their own lingo. They even have like a, a way to dress. I mean, it's almost like a, and the way they talk about it, it's like they're, you know, newly converted evangelist or whatever. Um, why, why do you think that, I mean, is it bad that CrossFit is sort of cultish or is it something good that there's sort of like this tribal mentality to it? And maybe has that contributed to its success? Oh, the tribal dynamics in CrossFit have definitely contributed to its success because each box is its own little community, right? And people, they make friends with each other, right? It's not like when you go to the gym and you kind of work out, you put on your earphones and you're all kind of trudging to nowhere on the elliptical kind of alone together, right? Yeah. It's a, it's a group activity and, and people bond and the, they bond for the same reasons that Marines bond, which is you're getting together to do something very physically difficult and uncomfortable. And you're proving to each other and to yourselves that you can all do it. And you've got this kind of shared suffering going on because well, you're all on your backs in the end, breathing hard and saying, man, did that suck? Oh my God, that was terrible. Uh, and anytime you make people do this, and this is outward bound, this is like all the stupid corporate retreat stuff. Anytime you get a group of people together and you make them do something difficult and physically uncomfortable, they're going to feel like they are a group, like they belong together. It's like this band of brothers phenomenon. In this case, it's kind of interesting because it's like kind of band of brothers and sisters because yeah. it's co-ed. Mm -hmm. um, and if you get into you know the military, right, this is, this is the standard experience. What's different about CrossFit is this is the first thing that allows Joanne from Human Resources to feel like a Marine three times a week. That's what makes it sort of new, is that people who are not part of these kind of first responder, you know, elite special forces or Marines can have that same kind of group bonding experience. And that's, that's really different. Yeah. I'd like to get your insight onto this. Um, why do you think, because I mean, you do this for a living, you analyze culture and, uh, I mean, why do you think CrossFit has resonated? Like, I feel like it, it struck a nerve in our culture. Um, why is that? Why is it that people are drawn to that and feel like they need to be a part of that? I mean, what, what's going on, do you think? Well, I think there's two things. Uh, one is just it flat out works in terms of the physical result. So you have a whole bunch of people who've tried this, you've tried that, you've kind of bumped along from workout to workout, different fads, and they find something where they get physically strong and they drop weight and it actually works. So 
you can't really underestimate the impact of that. On the other hand, you have this kind of combination of this kind of tribal social experience and, and, and you know, rite of passage, group bonding, marine hua stuff, and also a sense of kind of progress and competence that I can actually do something, that I can be, you know, responsible for myself in an emergency, this whole mystique of the unknown and the unknowable. And this is part of CrossFit is this whole mythos that you never know what life's going to throw at you. So you want to be strong in kind of every way and prepared for it. And my joke that I make in the book is that, you know, secretly every CrossFitter believes that the people in his box will be the ones to survive the zombie apocalypse. <laughs> Right, So there's the sense of being competent and capable and tough and in a fairly comfortable, plush consumer society, I think that this speaks to something primal in people that they want to be you know, stronger and more self-sufficient. And you see that play out in a whole bunch of places that are not fitness. I think if you look at the sort of maker movement, Right. And that could mm -hmm. be, you know, I want to make my own quadcopter or it could be, the, you know, the people who are doing their kind of artisanal charcuterie or, you know, <laughs> cheese making, pickle making, jam making, nouveau. Like who would who to thunk that like ball preserves would be yeah. like the thing. And so I think people generally want to feel more self-sufficient and capable and competent. And CrossFit is one of the ways that you can achieve that in a very measurable, fairly quick, you know, high gratification way that you can feel stronger. And I think that that's a general, that's something underneath the culture that f people feel like a little bit nervous about the fact that we're all hostage to these technologies that we can't see. Um, and we don't know what it's doing to our brains that we're kind of checking in on Facebook all the time uh, and our cars can't be fixed by a regular human. And so it's this kind of return to a sense of ruggedness and resilience, which is a big part of like the American frontier culture. That's just, it's buried below the surface, but it's still there. Yeah. Yeah. And I think too, you, know, you mentioned the, the tribal as I think like I, I'm a big believer that human beings are social creatures by nature. Like we want, mm -hmm. like we're wired for that. And you, you said like most gyms or way society is set up, it's you're sort of alone together. Right. Mm -hmm. And I think CrossFit provides, here's a, a community, like a tribe that you can belong to where you actually interact with people and you know, the person. And I think that's another well, big, draw. and you don't have to schedule it. That's yeah. the other thing is that people forget, you know, what we remember about high school and college socializing that was so great was that didn't, you didn't really have to plan it. You didn't yeah. have to arrange a, like a grown up play date, right. To, yeah. to be with people and you could just hang out and it's that third place, right, where you don't have to make such a huge effort to, to be around people that you get along with, that you have shared experiences with. You know, people go, they hit a wad, and they'll, like, grab a drink afterwards, or they'll just hang out and shoot the breeze. And you don't have to make such a monumental effort. You can just hang out, and I think that's a little bit of a relief for people, too. I mean, it's great that there's communities that kind of band together. They do fundraisers. They do charity stuff, all the rest of it. But part of it is just nice to be able to hang out with people. 
that yeah. aren't necessarily your coworkers. Because that's the default now is if you want to hang out, it's the people at work. But sometimes, you know, maybe you don't want that to be your primary social group. Maybe you want some other group of people who do other things to be your social group. Very interesting. All right. So let's talk a little bit about the the business model behind CrossFit because it's really interesting. Um, and I think it uh, plays a big role in how quickly it's spread. Um, so how does the CrossFit business model work? And I guess you can talk a bit about the sort of the libertarian mindset that sort of uh, filters out into that business model. So Greg Glassman was the kind of guy who really didn't want anyone kind of up the chain telling him the ins and outs of what to do, what to charge, you know, rules, here's the color of your t-shirt, on down. And so when lots of people wanted to have a CrossFit gym, he made this conscious decision not to make it a franchise, but to actually make it into something he calls the affiliate model. And the affiliate model is you have to be a certified CrossFit coach uh, and this is how CrossFit makes most most of their money, is by certifying coaches, by having people learn how to be CrossFit coaches. And you have to pay an affiliate fee every year, which is something like $3,000. And after that, you decide when you're going to be open. You know, you you are the the captain of your ship, right? So every CrossFit box is a small business run by someone who sets all their own rules and there's no re- other revenue sharing. There's not like, oh, you know, open a juice bar or sell protein powder or equipment or apparel or anything. And that gets cut back to some central organization like, you know, you would in a regular chain gym. If you want to sell T-shirts, sell T-shirts. CrossFit HQ doesn't really have anything more to do with it. So it allows people to be more autonomous, And this fits in with Glassman's general political philosophy, which is, you know, sort of a radical libertarian, you know, competition, even to the point of if a CrossFit gym wants to open right next door to you, there's nothing stopping it. And the answer to that, and there are some people who are really upset, right, who've had CrossFit gyms for a long time and saying, hey, you know, what are you guys doing to protect us from, you know, the fact that someone could open up right next to us? And the CrossFit HQ response to that is, if you're a great gym with great coaches whose athletes are happy, you don't have to worry about that. Just be excellent. And you don't have to worry about competition. So it really is Darwinistic in that way. And, you know, the position there is that CrossFit HQ doesn't quote unquote want to protect mediocrity. Like if a gym is not doing well, it's losing members, the coaches aren't that great, and everyone wants to go next door, that first gym probably shouldn't be in business. Very interesting. Yeah. I mean, so that gives each CrossFit box a different feel. And so I guess that maybe um, a suggestion would be if you're interested in CrossFit, like check out the different boxes before you commit to one, because you might find one that fits more with your personality. Absolutely. People say, oh, well, there's five CrossFit gyms within two miles of my house. Where do I go? And I, I find myself feeling a lot like a college counselor you know, it's, it's like, okay, well, you have to visit them all. And then you also have to figure out what your goals are. Um, if you want, uh, to, if you want what, what I like, which is, you know, I call it cheers with barbells, Mm -hmm. you know, that little place where everybody knows your name. Um, 
you probably don't want to go to a gigantic hangar size CrossFit gym um, where with 600 members, right? Because that's that's huge, um, and it's not going to feel as as familiar, and it's not going to have as strong a community. However, if you want, if you are a competitive athlete already, or you want to be a competitive athlete, or you want to be a CrossFit competitor, and you need a Olympic lifting coach, and you you know want to work on gymnastics. I mean, those large boxes have more to offer in terms of like specialized training. Um, and so you, you, you know, you have to figure out what your goals are and then also what the experience level is of the coaches and not just the experience level, but what their preferences are. Because a lot of these people come from sports, you know, some used to be gymnasts, some used to be power lifters and weightlifters. And, you know, there are some CrossFit gyms run by guys who are old powerlifting guys. And it kind of makes me smile because 20 years ago, these guys would be running a barbell club. <laughs> And this is just like their barbell club, except in between barbells, people are jumping on boxes. Yeah. But that works for guys who really love barbells. Gotcha. Um, well, here's the thing to point out, too, is that CrossFit is open source, right? Like you don't have to necessarily be a part of a box to do CrossFit workouts, correct? Yeah, they you, can go, you can go to CrossFit.com and you can look at all of the tutorials to the videos of all the movements and you can get the workout of the day from the main page and you can try to do it. Mm -hmm. So there's people you in there, they, they just, they start a like a little CrossFit box in their own garage, like just for mm -hmm. them. Right. Yeah. Yep. A lot of people do it. I mean, in the backyard, we renovated our um, little garage and built a bigger garage. And, you know, my husband works out there a lot. I call it shed fit. <laughs> Um, and yeah, a lot of, a lot of people do that either because they're still, you know, far away from a CrossFit gym or because they don't feel like paying for a CrossFit gym and they feel like they can do it themselves. Or there's a group of folks that at a regular gym that'll let them do that kind of stuff who just want to get together and do that kind of stuff. Very interesting. Okay. Um, so one of the fascinating things, one of the interesting chapters in your book was, about the businesses or the industries that have grown up around CrossFit? Because like CrossFit hasn't been around all that long. I mean, when do you think? Probably it a decade. A decade, right? Um, but in that time, there's just businesses that didn't exist that now mm -hmm. exist. Uh, can you talk a bit about some of those businesses? So the number one would probably be Rogue Fitness, um, which, you know, I think the shorthand for people who aren't familiar with Rogue, it's like the Apple computer of barbells. <laughs> you know, they have this combination of like technical expertise and then this kind of design obsession about making the best possible, you know, gymnastic rings for the people who like to do muscle-ups. And there's, there's a really interesting bit in the book about the Rogue Factory and how they're actually doing manufacturing there in Ohio, right? So bringing manufacturing back to the United States, um, but doing it in a smarter way and doing it in a way that where there's a lot of back and forth between, you know, the factory and the customers, the people who actually use the stuff. Um, so for people who are gearheads, there's a lot about, you know, the, the kind of the metallurgy of the barbells. And I never thought that I would sort of geek out on steel, <laughs> but, you know, I really caught um, Bill Henniger, the guy who owns Road, his sort of infectious enthusiasm for, you know, like, how you use steel in different ways and how the property of the metal affects the performance of this different athletic equipment. So there's, there's some gearhead stuff in there. 
And then all the way from that, which is literally steel, to you know things like Beyond the Whiteboard and all these apps that are um, helping people track their performance. Um, you know all the kind of online stuff, and you know apparel companies. To say nothing of Reebok, uh, which I mean the the Nano, which is their CrossFit shoe, that's their best-selling shoe across the board for for anything. And so CrossFit sort of saved Reebok, Reebok yeah. after they lost the NFL. Yeah. And it seems like Reebok is sort of embracing that sort of like, like alternative fitness sport, right? So CrossFit and there's like the Spartan race they're doing mm-hmm. stuff with, um, which I think is, yeah, they're, they're, that's really interesting. I think it's the idea of, and this is, again, sort of an art, art of manliness thing. It, it's the idea that the athlete that you want to aspire to be is actually the better version of yourself. Mm. It's not the celebrity million dollar athlete on a billboard in Times Square. It's actually the person that you could be in six months if you really pulled out the stops. Very cool. Um, so let's talk about the CrossFit Games because this is where in your book where a lot of the the drama and the tension um, existed. Because I, I couldn't like whenever I started reading it, like the CrossFit Games, I couldn't stop reading because I wanted to see what happened. Yes. Um, how, it's sort of like their version of the Olympics. How do the CrossFit Games work? So the CrossFit Games is this really interesting process where there's tiers of qualifying events, right? So the the baseline qualifying event is called the Open. It's five separate workouts. Anyone can enter, and they had over 200,000 people last year participate. And the workouts are announced on a Wednesday or Thursday, and then people have until the end of Sunday to do the workout. And they can do it at a CrossFit gym with people who are you know, signed up as judges to you know, authenticate their results, or they can do it, uh, they can videotape it, post it. Someone will count their reps and they will enter their time. So anyone can do it. Of those, they take the top um, 30 men, 30 women, and 30 teams in every region. And those people go to regionals, which is a much more serious event for like more badass athletes to actually compete to get the top slots in regionals. And those people go to the CrossFit Games, which is the kind of international level competition with athletes from around the world. And the, the fun thing about it is it, in some ways, is closer to, you know, the original sort of Greek Olympics than it is to the modern day Olympics. And there's just all this ritual of sport. And one of the big themes in the book is the connection between the kind of ritual intensity of CrossFit and the genesis of sport in ancient human society. So part of the book's quest, and what makes it fun to read for people who aren't necessarily fitness enthusiasts, is this question of what is sport? Why, why did we come up with it in the first place? Why would a bunch of people run out onto a field, set rules, and expend calories gratuitously when food is scarce? Like, why do we do that? And why do we still do that? And so the book becomes this investigation into the, the ritual power of athletics and the sort of genesis of athletics in, in the history of human beings as a species. And that mystery, that kind of cultic practice, the ritual of athletics, is something you see in spades in the CrossFit Games. And that's part of what makes it so mythic um, to, to, to view and also to write about. And my editor was teasing me about the sort of, because 
the game's sagas kind of take on this mythic tone. So he's like, it's like barbells at the gates of Troy. Mm-hmm. Um, but it really goes to that um, sort of the ritual sacrifice of human energy that defines sport and this kind of primal competition, which is very close, even though it's on television, right? And even though it's a very modern online social media phenomenon, it's very close to how sport began. Yeah, I love that that last section in your book about that sort of sport as a an embodiment of you know yeah ritualistic living sac like we we make ourselves human sac living sacrifices. In a yeah, sense. we sacrifice our energy yeah. because when we're hunter gatherers, we would sacrifice our animals to our gods so that we would have the animal again in the future. I mean, that's what sacrifice is about. It's kind of paying it forward, and we sacrificed when we hunted an animal. Two things: one was the animal. And the other is the energy it would have taken to hunt that animal because hunting takes a lot of energy. And then we become Neolithic farmers and we still want to sacrifice an animal to our gods because that's what Neolithic religion is all about. But then we have the animal right there in the pen because we domesticated animals because we're farmers. And this is when things like foot races become associated with religious festivals. So we sacrifice the energy of the hunt alongside of the animal and the original Olympics the foot race started at the end of the at the finish line. The winner would actually take the torch and go up the steps to the statue of Zeus and light not an ornamental thing to say, yay, we're in the Olympics, but it actually was the animal, it was the burnt offering. So the energy of the hunt was reunited with the animal as a form of sacrifice. I and will- that's the sort of deep mystery of sport yeah. that we we deep down kind of know but we've forgotten on a conscious level. I love it. I love that sort of stuff. Um, okay. So last question, what do you think the future of CrossFit is? Um, you know, will it continue to get more and more popular or have we reached peak CrossFit? I think that it will continue to grow and simultaneously that people will talk about it less and less. I think it's like yoga, right? So 10 years ago, everyone was talking about yoga And now no one's talking about it, but everybody does it. And it's the same about uh, jogging, running in the 70s, right? There was a point in the (laughs) 70s when running and jogging was all anyone could talk about. Yeah. And then more and more people started doing it, but less and less people were talking about it. And I think CrossFit and things like CrossFit become like that. We realize that this is a... It's a, it works. It has all these benefits. You know, it, more and more and more and more people do do it, but fewer and fewer and fewer people, you know, sort of talk about it. Which is why I think it's a good time to have a book out about it because the history of it is very interesting, and already the number of new people doing it completely swamps the people who are around back in those early years who actually remember what happened. And so what I've tried to do with Learning to Breathe Fire is sort of do this kind of deep anthropology, but also to chronicle sort of the lore for all the people who, you know, don't know how it began or don't know what was going on in Iraq when people first started doing it out there as, as, as military. Um, and it's, it's a really fascinating history. It is. All right. Well, Jay-Z Hertz, thank you so much for your time. It's been fascinating and a pleasure. And uh, Learning to Breathe Fire is on Facebook. So if you search for it on Facebook, we've got a very, very lively 
uh, and passionate reader community. And, and we have a lot of CrossFit humor. We come up with uh, <laughs> self-deprecating quizzes about CrossFit in case you think that people who do CrossFit never make fun of themselves. <laughs> All right. So that's all. Just search Learning to Breathe Fire on Facebook? Mm -hmm. Very good. All right. Well, thank you so much, JC. Thank you. Our guest today was JC Hertz. She is the author of Learning to Breathe Fire, and you can find that book on Amazon.com. And you can also check out her Facebook page. It's facebook.com slash learning to breathe fire, where she posts updates about the CrossFit community and the CrossFit world. A lot of fascinating stuff. Well, that wraps up another edition of the Art of Manliness podcast. For more manly tips and advice, make sure to check out the Art of Manliness website at artofmanliness.com. We have a store, store.artofmanliness.com. We got a really cool camp coffee mug there. We've got tie clips, posters, t-shirts, lots of great stuff. If you're a big Art of Manliness fan, it's a place where you can get some swag. Um, I'd really appreciate it if you pick something up. Uh, your purchases will help support the website as well as the continuing improvement of this podcast. So it's store.artofmanliness.com. And until next time, this is Brett McKay telling you to stay manly.